as many of you may know ethereum has revolutionized the idea of smart contracts and decentralized applications we have multiple token standards each serving unique purpose and creating new possibilities but as with any technology there's always room for improvement and innovation and a new standard so if you are looking for a gas efficient approach to lockable ERC721 tokens stay with us welcome to peepenny where we talk about a standard made available for the smart contract developers infrastructure providers and the users of the ethereum ecosystem today we are going to learn about ERC6982 efficient default lockable tokens documented in may 2023 co-authored by francesco sola and uh, alex the proposal has been moved to the final status recently to share motivation specs and stories with the documentation of this standard we are joined by francesco welcome to the show thank you for having me Francesco is a software engineer and Ethereum contributor who has authored multiple Ethereum standards. We are going to learn more on abstract use case and implementation of ERC-6982. But uh, before we dive in there, may I request uh, to please share about his professional background and how he got into the Ethereum space. So I'm always been into cryptography. And I built the first online password manager in 2006. And for me, it was an evolution. You know, it's, it's all about cryptography and cryptocurrencies. So it's initially I get involved in a little bit after Bitcoin comes out, but had an interruption, I would say. And later in 2016, I was working in Yahoo. And I thought I definitely should go more deep in Ethereum. And so I resigned and I took like a year and a half off just to study, to make crazy projects, you know, and try to figure out what was going on and learning as much as possible, you know. It's, and that is starting after I worked in, in many other things. I participated in Tron Foundation and other uh, blockchains. So, and currently I work mostly with the metaverse in this moment, but... Amazing. It's a pleasure to have you here to learn some more. So without further ado, let's peep in. The primary problem that I found with the lockable token is, so first let's understand what are lockable tokens. There are two primary categories. There are tokens like soulbound tokens, made famous by Vitalik Buterin, but initially proposed by Nicola Greco in 2018, I think, that were that are lock it forever you know it's a soul bound is a badge for example it's something that is assigned to you it's locked forever and in other cases that became more common in 2021 2022 is to have tokens that you can lock in a pool without staking in the pool it means that you remain the owner of the token and but the token technically is like if has been uh, staked but it's not staked the pool does not own the token you still keep the ownership 
but uh, you have the advantage of uh, keeping the ownership and having all the advantages of staking you virtually in the pool. So those are the two primary cases that, that uh, are the most uh, common. And what I realize is that uh, the interfaces were out there for, for this goal, they were not really considering the first scenario. So they were very good for the second scenario where I lock something and later, but not from when a token is born locked, he dies locked, is locked forever. So most of the interface, like in fact here, I was checking the ERC-15192, the same like the previous interface was 5753. They both focus on this part of the project. So you have that uh, you lock, you unlock, you emit an event every time that this happens, you know. And emitting an event every time means that you are not considering the case, uh, the same for this other interface, that you lock and you are locked all the time. You are not considering the case that is a badge, it's locked forever. So why I need to waste gas Every time that I mint a token and say, okay, this token is minted and is locked. I don't need to tell this all the time. I can just say, hey, this token by default is locked. That is it. I say that one time, I don't emit any more any event, except if uh, something specific happens to that token, to a specific token ID. And that was the goal that I was trying to solve with this interface promoting a reduction on waste of gas. It is it's always a big problem on Ethereum. You, you don't want to spend gas that is unnecessary. So that was my primary motivation. And initially I tried to contribute to 5192, and, but unfortunately I arrived too late. I noticed the interface too late and it was already finalized. So I could not participate. I remember that I made the pull request and Panda people, I don't know is actually the name of the, the person, but that is his nickname. He said to me, oh, you cannot do that. It's already finalized, but you can create a new proposal. And that is what I did. So it's, but initially I tried just to contribute to this proposal because to me, and most of the elements was just missing the default behavior for the token, you know. So, and by the way, another advantage that in the way I was, has been set up 6982 as it's supposed that you emit a default locked event when the contract is deployed. So you emit the first time and there are cases where you want to change the default locked events that are, for example, there are many tokens that they are sold without really knowing what you are buying. You know, there is a reveal later. When there is a, a later reveal, what happens is most likely you don't want to allow the token to be transferable before. So the token can be born and can be deployed being locked by default. Then, let's say, when the sale ends and there is a reveal, then is when it's unlocked by default. So in one emission, you unlock the entire collection. And that is, uh, it's all about uh, being efficient. That is it. Interesting. 
So yeah, I was following the FEM page and it definitely suggests that one of the motivations behind ERC 6982 was the PR that was made for ERC 5192 minimal soul bound NFT. As you mentioned in your conversation that Panda P, who is one of the AP editors, mentioned that we generally do not try to update a final proposal. Instead, we welcome proposals which are new and maybe supporting that. So I'm curious, like, uh, is there any relationship between ERC 5192 and ERC 6982 or it's a kind of complementing the existing proposal? What do you think we are going to achieve with the, the proposal 6982 here? Yeah, there is not a, a real relationship, I think, because it's it have two alternatives. You are not going to use both because the name of the event locket is the same. So I think it would be, it's a choice from the implementer. If the implementer has to work mostly on dynamic uh, lockable token that the lockability can change with time, I think it's 5192 is perfect. It's, it does everything that you need. It's, uh, it requires to implement uh, only one function instead of two. And But if you, uh, paradoxically, that is a, an interface that was born for soulbound token. And I think that for soulbound token, 6982 is much better because as the default locket, that is the case of uh, that you want to take projects, for example, like Galaxy. Galaxy, they are badge for, you know, for marketing strategies, whatever. And on their contract, there are millions of badges. If they want to emit a locket event for millions of budgets, if you amount the entire gas consumed in the end, it's a lot of gas. Even if it's on Polygon, you know, but it's still a lot of gas. And they could have emitted one event, and that is it. You know, it's, I think that it's the case where for Solbound is particularly better, I think, 6982. Then, uh, but for the rest, you can definitely use it. It's also about choice because uh, in the, if you look in 5192, there are two events, locked events and unlocked events. That uh, is clearly more efficient than having a, a locked with one parameters. Because, uh, but in my, I think this is, it's a compromise that is, it makes sense because that locked parameters adds only 230 gas. It is honestly very small and makes more clear for also for whoever is following, is listening to the events. They listen to only one event and they know from this parameter if it's locked or is unlocked. It's very similar to what happens with the transfer event with an ERC721. We could have created a transfer event, a minting event, mint, a burn, you know, instead the author, they decide to create one event that is, if starts from zero, is a mint, is goes to zero, is a bar. If not, is a transfer, you know. That approach is uh, allows the entities listen to events to have, to follow one event and having a, building a better understanding of it. In fact, I was tempted in the beginning to use only one event and specify if it was default but that became hard to understand. So I think it needs to be simple. I think it is very important that when you try to create a standard, is as simple as understandable possible. Because if people get confused, it's not working. So 
But I would say the two, they are not in conflict, but they can be used in different scenarios. And But I don't see any case where you can use them together. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah, as you mentioned, that standard needs to be simple and it would be really helpful to have it case by case basis. Like people should have options to choose and it's great to know that we have multiple standards available as an alternative. So for people who would like to maybe learn more about ERC 5192, may check out our conversation with the author, Tim, on Peep and Eep episode number 89. We will uh, link the episode in the description to follow. I noticed mention of a couple of other proposals. Those are in stagnant status now. That uh, makes me think about the specs and technical aspects of uh, 6982. What are the key features of ERC-6982 that makes it efficient and default lockable? How is it different from ERC-5753, that is lockable extension for EIP-721, which is currently in stagnant? In your mind, is there benefit of pushing ERC-5753 anymore? Or uh, does ERC-6982 that we are discussing today got it covered? I think that the primary point is the ability of having something for the default. That is the central point of the entire interface is that, in theory, that this interface could have been uh, an extension of 5192. And just adding the default, that maybe someone will propose at some moment. I would probably, it's, I would expect that someone can propose, but there is actually a proposal right now of someone that is proposing an extension to 5192. I don't remember now exactly the number, and but it's adding range for the locking. And of course, if the range is the full range from zero to the maximum, you into 256 is equivalent to a default locket. So it's an interesting concept. But I think for the technical part, is just, it's very simple to implement, but it's, it's the ability of considering what happens by default that makes it very efficient and reducing the need to emit a locked event for any event that you are, for any change, you know, that means the minting, that is what is more crucial for me. Because the, the minting, emits a transfer event. So according to 5192, it should emit also a locked event. And that is where the I think there is a high cons consumption of gas that is unnecessary. But technically, there are no particularly difficulty in this, in this standard. I have implemented it in at least uh, three projects. I know at least three, four projects that are using it from the very beginning. And it's quite obvious the way how you want to set up it. Also because the rules are simple. The default locked is the default, but every time there is a locked event, the locked event has priority on the default. So it's quite simple to read the events from an app and understanding exactly what's going on. That's pretty interesting. And of course, we will get into use cases, adoption and implementation. But before that, I have a related question. With respect to ERC 5753, 
which is currently in stagnant status. It is a proposal for lockable extension for EIP 721. So my question here is like, um, do you see a proposal that you have authored 6982? Does that cover the gap and we may not need to pursue with 5753 or that is also independent and yeah, people can pursue that to solve a little bit different problem. Yeah, I think that this interface solves a, a, a case that is not the exact the same case because this is when you need to know who is the locker. If you need to know is the locker, the 6982 is not enough because it doesn't give you any information about who is the locker. While instead, in this specific interface, you have, you know, who is the locker or who is the unlocker, you know, it's, this is a little bit weird. Lock, index, unlocker, unlock, index. I don't really understand the logic. I think it is probably what he, because I didn't take a look to the interface in details, but I guess what he expects say, oh, this is the person, the address that can unlock the token when it's the time. And it's an interesting, interesting scenario because it's, uh, you would expect that the unlocker and the locker are, are probably the same. In a typical staking pool, the locker of the contract is a staking pool that has the right to lock the contract. And then you would expect it is the same staking pool that unlocks the contract. When the user has completed, I don't know, you stake it for a year and then you want to unlock, you go there. But technically, it's the contract of the second pool that unlocks the token. It's not the user. The user has approved the second pool to manage the token. That is what it does. But it's the second pool does both operations. There can be cases where this is different. So, and you know that, I don't know, I can imagine it, for example, I can say, I'm staking something, but the one I can unstake later, it's you. It's for a, a different scenario, you know. In that case, uh, probably I want to know who is the unlocker. But honestly, I think that this uh, interface goes in a too much in a specific case, you know. It's uh, I found it hard to see as a full standard because it's in my opinion goes too much in a, in one case, you know. It's uh, because if you think about lockability, there are so many cases. Okay, it's very. I work that two basic projects for lockability. One is a system to lock a token on a pool without actually transfer the ownership. And in that case, you need something. You need some kind of details you need to know. You need to know who is the locker, who is the unlocker, how can you unlock that, whatever. Another case where I'm working recently is that I'm working on a protocol for safe NFTs that is called the Kruna protocol. And in this protocol, there are, an NFT can have a protector. So I can set up a protector. What is a protector? I can set up that I own, I use my MetaMask to buy the token, but I have a ledger and I want to use the ledger as a protector. So the ledger needs to sign an authorization to allow me to transfer the NFT. This protects from phishing, from other stuff, whatever. In that case, for example, I just need to say, oh, by default, the token is unlock it so there is a default status to say oh all the tokens all the kruna vault are unlocked but they can become locked if i set up a protector they became locked because only 
the protector can actually allow me to transfer the NFT, you know. So there are so many different scenarios where, uh, and I think that uh, the specific case of this interface goes in one specific scenario that to me makes it uh, hard to implement in a generic, in a general way, you know. While instead, I think that the standard, for example, both for the Pruna, Pruna protocol and for the lockable token for ERC-6721, I could have made a proposal, but to me, it does not make sense because it's a specific use case, you know. And how many other products will, project will go to use that specific use case? That's question. And that's why you want to keep it uh, as uh, general as possible. And that makes sense for a standard, you know. Absolutely. So that, yes. that is uh, what I think. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, uh, we would like to have a standard which are general um, for general use cases, not specific to one use case. DAPs are there for those purposes. <laughs> All right. Now that we are partially into the segment of use case and adoption, and I think you have kind of answered my first question here, how we are protecting on um, staking the asset in a pool. So let me just try to understand it a little bit more. When we are talking about staking, are we talking about taking in general related to like liquid staking pool kind of, or is it something that a project can be designed with the help of this protocol, which can facilitate user or a staker to keep the token under their control by just adding this extra layer of protection here? Yeah, you know, the interface is focuses on... Uh what the rest of the world sees about your uh, your token that is the goal of the interface is is uh, there is no security intrinsically there is no security in the proposal in the sense that uh, it depends on how it is implemented you know you don't have uh, there are no indication about how you implement the proposal the goal for the proposal to be transparent for the rest of everything else to other people, other entity, marketplace, whatever, to know what's happening. For example, in marketplace like OpenSea, they need to know if that token is sellable or not. If it's not sellable, they don't want to start a transaction in waste gas for the user or accepting, for example, for sale when it's actually not sellable, things like this. It's, I think that is a, it's an actual, it's a real, the, the, I, I will say it's, literally what an interface is interface with the rest of the world and hey this is what i'm doing as a token in this moment this is my condition you know that you make your uh, evaluation and you do whatever you have to do but there is no uh, restriction or any other things about how you are actually implementing it so if you had security features and other things like this that uh, it's problem that you will solve in a, some different way. So even a staking pool, for example, it's someone can say it's not safer than staking in a pool. Yeah, technically it's true because, you know, I have a token, I have a Bored Ape Yacht Club. I want to stake in a pool. It's unlikely that someone will stake in a pool a Bored Ape, but let's say they will do it. You want to stake in the pool. It's the pool that decides the contract, if you can unstake it or not. The same way, if you unlock in 
the token in place, but you don't transfer the ownership, most likely it's the pool that decides when it can be unlocked. You know, and I think that in this case, for example, there is a same level of security because it's the pool that can keep your token logged forever. So, of course, if it's in your ownership, the project or the club makes you an airdrop, that's very good because you receive on your on your wallet and not the pool. It's not the pool that receives the ape token, you know, it's you. So it's good, but still the pool in theory can keep your token locked forever. That is where the implementation becomes very important because you can set up the token in a way that you can say, okay, there is this token is lockable, but for example, there is an expiration, cannot be locked forever. I set up that the maximum is one year. If after a year it's still locked, it becomes unlocked. You have the advantage that the NFT keeps control in some way. The NFT can decide that the pool cannot abuse the NFT because the NFT keeps its own logic and say, hey, after a year, I unlock this token, I remove any approval. So if the pool before was approved, now it's no more approved, so cannot lock it again, you know. And uh, I think that in the end, uh, having a lockability in place improves the security of the, the token. Of course, that depends on how the NFT has been implemented. If someone implements features like that, adds security and makes a project more solid. Of course, nobody requires them to do it, you know. It's, and by the way, another problem with lockability is that it's not retroactive, of course. So you cannot lock a borrowed ape in place because that contract is it's not modifiable, you know. It's not upgradable. That is a good thing. So you don't want to upgrade. Because the upgradability is cool, but is in my opinion, is the number one issue with security. You know, because the basic concept of blockchain is that you and with smart contract was that you trust is trustless because you trust the smart contract. I see smart contract, I trust it's perfect. If that is upgradable, I cannot trust it anymore. It's you know, so there are I guess there are so many discussions about upgradability, but it's definitely a point on which I think at some moment we will find some better way to manage upgradability. And I believe there are some proposed standards as well on upgradability. Yeah, yeah. Here. I don't see that in final status, but definitely something that people can discuss more and fine-tune the proposal. Yeah. Very well. You did mention about a couple of projects that you have worked on. I wonder if you have any visibility on the current state of adoption. Are there any notable projects or platforms that have implemented? Or if you would like to maybe talk a bit more about the implementation that you have worked on. I had exchanges with people in the forum that they were telling me that they were using it in other discussion where we were, someone were asking for interface to manage these cases and we end up talking about 6982 and I know that there are for sure four or five projects at least that are using it and they are in the final stage of but I don't have a clear visibility on that. I think it would be very good. That is probably something that we should propose for the future. 
some kind of a registry that allows to sorry here is the that allows you to have a visibility on that you know it would be very good to have uh, some kind of uh, index uh, that index the because we see the source code on either scan whatever so we can definitely have uh, something to get all the code and say oh this interface is used uh, 10 project in 20 project I, I guess etherscan could do that it's <laughs> it would be helpful you know it's uh... i think uh, that is available it's by a team which tries to track most of the erc so what they do is like they try to get the search the chain and whatever erc has been implementing those projects i guess they collect it i might want to ah. check on that i will share yeah, the link later uh, on yeah Thank you. That is actually very helpful, you know. Yeah. So I think Dune.xyz. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know them. I look at them for other projects. I didn't realize that they also try. I will definitely go to take a look. Yeah. I find yeah. that interesting as well. Like it generally lists how many contracts have used, what proposals, what standards for Ethereum. So it's a good way of tracking. Yeah. Very well. I am curious to hear your thoughts on advice for developers and project teams who are considering to implement this proposal. Are there any security concern or anything specific that they should be careful about while implementing this proposal? Yeah, I think that the what uh, sometimes is hard to actually check in project that have lockability is that not necessarily the rules are always valid. For example, there can be a token that is, for example, let, let's do this case. The In the Kruna protocol, that is this protocol for safety, the token, when there is a, at least one, one protector, becomes locked. But it's not actually locked because the protector can unlock it. It can transfer it. So, you know, there is, it's, it's just a general behavior, it says in standard condition, you know, this token is locked or is not locked, but there can be extra special condition where the token is not locked. You know, for example, it's the same for when a token is, is locked in a staking pool. It's locked, but the staking pool can unlock it in any moment and transfer it, you know. So... It's, I think that is what is really important to be careful when someone implements interface like this is to have a consistent behavior that is it's very solid, that is not hackable, that, uh, you know, because when you go with things that becomes more complex, it's easy to make a mistake and maybe the functional should return your status is, you know, it's not precise, it's misleading, for example, for the market. So... And maybe if someone has to go with really more complex behavior, it's always a good uh, practice to emit uh, specific events that specifies, you know, okay, it's locked, but this can unlock. So you create an event that uh, if I'm following the project, I can listen to that event and say, okay, he says that it's, it's locked, but these address can unlock it in any moment. It means that it can transfer. Because in the end, it's all about transferability, if the token is transferable or not. But uh, let's say that I'm a staking pool and uh, I lock the token. I'm the one that I can unlock. 
in the same operation, in theory, since I've been approved, I can, in the same operation, unlock the token and transfer it. So I have a big power. And it's my opinion, we should always be careful to not give too much power to external actors. And so when someone implements on a ERC721 interface like this, should really try to focus because the interface in itself it's easy you know it's it's a simple concept is everything that is around it can become a problem because you underestimate some edge case and the user does not have that protection they should have on the contract you know contracts should always be audited you know audits are so expensive that is why <laughs> Yeah, these are pretty good advices here. Yeah, I understand when we are talking about blockchain, cryptocurrency, a lot of money involved there. So it's always a good idea to have uh, it audited. Um, but yes, as you mentioned, audits are expensive. So we need yeah. to be careful about implementing the proposal, the standard that we choose to add in our project. Yeah, also because I don't know if you follow it, the ERC six five five one. It's very good for that associated token bound account to an NFT. In that case, an NFT becomes the owner of an entire wallet, and it becomes even more important that is super protected because if not uh, transferring the token, maybe you are transferring I don't know two million dollars in USDC that are in the wallet. You know. Yeah. It's a disaster, you know, so you have to be very careful. And so more and more, it becomes very important that NFT built with a lot of attention on security, in my opinion. Indeed. And it seems like the proposal um, 6551 is currently under review. So, yeah, we look forward for this proposal to move forward, going into last call and final and if it reaches to that status, we would love to invite authors and have this conversation again to let the community know about this, another standard which could be really helpful. Yeah, yeah, I, I love 6.5.1. I'm actually, the Kruna protocol that we are building is uh, like, uh, is supposed to work with 6.5.1 because the problem in this proposal is that now we are digressing on another proposal, but it's that uh, it's built to work with any existing NFT. That means that uh, if you use it with a bored ape, it's fantastic, but a bored ape is not protected. It's, a, it's an old, you know, in, in our world, it's an ancient NFT. So you want to have an NFT instead, it is very well protected. So the idea about the protocol, behind the protocol, is just to create. Uh, the perfect NFT for a 6551, you know, but the world evolves. It's very interesting now. All things change continuously and there are so many new things. It's, we hope we survive. <laughs> of course. All right. I think we are getting close towards uh, the end of this conversation. I would uh, quickly like to maybe collect your thoughts on uh, the feedback on Ethereum standard process. What were some of the biggest challenges you faced while documenting ERCs or any other Ethereum standard that you have authored? And also, if you have any suggestion for us to improve the process to encourage more contributors to document new standards for Ethereum. I think that the, 
recently it seems to me that the idea of separating the EIP from the ERC has worked. It was a little bit uh, painful in the beginning <laughs> to try to make it because there were so many issues with uh, the Jenkins uh, scripts to control everything. But I think it is better, it's more efficient, it's faster, the review, whatever. But uh, for a long time, I think the primary problem was that from when someone was proposing something and had some feedback, it was passing a lot of time. And But I think it's pro the process now is quite smooth. You cannot expect that something like this goes in a week. It's not that it works. There must be a discussion, a conversation. I would probably, one improvement I would think that uh, would make sense to me is that it's part of the, the process, but it's not really respected. It is the fact that uh, in the EIP uh, instruction about how to do it, you say, oh, you create a conversation, you have a conversation where the conversation has reached some level of, uh, you create the, you make the PR to create the proposal. But I often see a proposal that uh, they go straight on the PR. You go to see on the Ethereum magician and there is uh, the first comment and nothing else. So that is, uh, I think that we should, I would probably close those proposals and say, I'm sorry, I don't see any discussion. You propose it too early. You know, a proposal makes sense for a standard if the community agrees on that proposal. If there is a, an interest in from the community, so the community says, okay, this makes sense for many people, so let's uh, work on a standard. But if we skip this part and we allow people to make pull requests there without having an actual conversation, hoping that there is a conversation later, wherever, the risk is that we inflate the, the documentation with a lot of proposals and make maybe don't make much sense, you know, it's, and that would cause the editors they need to make more work. Maybe I would probably say, okay, if there is no conversation on this, no debate at all, wherever, wait to make the pull request. In fact, when I did, this, I made this actual proposal, I, we had a, probably, I think 70 comments before and I say, okay, maybe it's time that I make the actual proposal, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, I think it is important. The same for the previous proposal that is final is the about transferability. Is if a, a token is transferable or not? In the end, is what you want to know. Then there were so many comments before. Then we decide, okay, let's make a proposal, a public proposal. I think this should be the standard way to go. And unfortunately, I'm seeing more and more people create a PR and ignores completely this flow. So that I would probably try to go back to a more structured way, say, don't create a PR before having some kind of, because if not, we will close it. You know, it's also to, to economize the resources. You say, okay, we, uh, if not the, also the editors, they make too much work to go to see all those proposals. You need to understand what it is. It's, it takes time. Absolutely. No, I totally agree. You you have kind of nailed the problem here. I was really happy to follow the discussion that happened for this proposal on Fellowship of Ethereum Magician. It gives a lot of context to any new or external user to understand what, what is happening here and how the proposal has been moved to become a standard at the end of the day. 
So I totally agree that we should try to focus more on this part. And I will definitely communicate this piece of feedback, share it with EIP editors to kind of enforce the rule and have a minimum requirement set. If not, like we can not set a very high boundary, a minimum number of discussion should be there to make next PR, next status change to just verify we have community engagement. Oh, that's really good. And I see that you have also authored proposal 6454, I guess. It was yeah. about a very similar, very similar problem. It was, that is mm -hmm. focused mostly on the transferability, but from the point of view of uh, composability of a contract. So in other contracts, they want to know if that contract is transferable for some reason. And that uh, is the final goal there was to do that. Of course, uh, if you have if you use that proposal, 6454, you basically, you don't need the 6982 as long as you are on the, you use this from a smart contract because you can just check in any moment if it's transferable or not. If it's not transferable, probably it's locked, you know, it's an obvious, but the problem is that the marketplace and things like this, they don't, usually they don't query the contract. They don't ask if the function, for example, in uh, ERC 6982 for default locked and locked, they are supposed to be called from smart contract. They can be called off-chain, of course, but it's unlikely that uh, OpenSea will call uh, a locked to see if it's locked because they, to optimize uh, the, the system, they just uh, take all the events and they trust the events. That is, I think that I'm not convinced it is the best way to go because I probably I would anyway check the if the if it's changed in I don't know and maybe the event has not been emitted I don't know but are two different worlds there is a world on chain and there is a world off chain you know, on chain you the only thing that you really need to go to know if it's transferable and that uh, proposal was solving that problem. This proposal is more oriented to off-chain actors that from off-chain they check and they want to know information. And to be complete, of course, we consider also the case of the on-chain. Then I have two functions that tells me the same information in real time. But that is for completeness. In, in theory, the proposal could have only considered the two events, the emission of the two events, because the primary goal was to solve the issue for the marketplace entity of chain, you know. Interesting. I think we can perhaps have a chat on uh, 6454 some other time. I remember having a bit of conversation with Steven, who is also a co-author here. So definitely yeah. we should plan a complete talk on that. Well, for today, I think this is really interesting to learn more about ERC-6982. Do you have any closing thoughts about PPNEP or any message for the Ethereum community? I love the Ethereum community. I think it is, it's in the end, there are so many blockchains out right now, but in the end, the big innovation comes most of the time from Ethereum. That is it. It's, and it's why this role as a guide, I would say, of the an entire family of of blockchains and uh, not to say that other blockchains are not innovative, you know, uh, 
everyone innovates in many ways. You know, things like Celestia is very interesting. Things like this, but I think that uh, Ethereum keeps this role of the the first. Uh, probably the first has been or, always Bitcoin because most of the central proposals come from Bitcoin and from Bitcoin go to Ethereum that uh, adds all the smart contract part that is missed in Bitcoin. You know, and I hope the community continues to be very active and strong. It's needed. <laughs> That's right. No, of course, I think uh, these are great words for Ethereum. Um, Ethereum definitely is one of the biggest decentralized ecosystem in blockchain. And most of the innovations are coming out of uh, this ecosystem. Well, it is clear that ERC-6982 introduces feature that could address some of the limitations, especially around the security and token lockup mechanism. And that will be helpful for projects. So Francesco Sullo, we thank you for talking about ERC-6982, efficient default lockable tokens, a gas-efficient approach to lockable ERC-721 tokens. Now that uh, this is in the final uh, status, we are looking forward to see more adoption of it. And we really appreciate you joining us on Deep and Eat. Thank you very much. Thank you. And on this note, thanks to all our YouTube viewers for watching and podcast subscriber for listening to the special episode on NFT at EatCathodist channel. Should you have any question on this or any other topic, let us know at EatCathodist Discord. Check out the description for more info. And we'll be back with another interesting talk. Until next time, keep watching, keep listening, and keep sharing your love with Ethereum Catherdus. Cheers. <laughs>